All right, how many of you have seen the movie The Sixth Sense? You saw that movie? I know some of you are like, I haven't seen it. I'm going to give you some spoilers. You've had 23 years to watch it, so I don't feel, get, feel bad about this at all. All right? The movie is about a, a psychiatrist p- p- played by Bruce Willis. His name is Dr. Crow. And uh, the movie starts out where he is confronted by uh, a young man that he was trying to help. And the young man doesn't think that the doctor was able to help him. And so he shoots the doctor and then he takes his own life. And that's how the movie starts out. A a couple months later, the the movie picks back up. Well, not a couple months later. The movie picks up in the next minute. A couple months later, the scene changes. And uh, you see the doctor and you kind of see some tension with him and his wife. They've grown distant and, and cold and just things aren't very good between them. And at that point, the doctor meets a young boy. Uh, let's see if I wrote his name down. Uh, I forgot it. And uh, he meets this young boy who reminds him of the, the young man that, that shot him. And he's like, ah, man, I, I really need to help him. I really feel like I need to do something for him. A young boy comes out that the young boy has been uh, frightened because he sees ghosts with unresolved problems. That's like most of us in here with unresolved problems. But he sees ghosts with unresolved problems. And uh, so uh, the Dr. Crow, he's trying to figure it out. He comes to terms with the fact that this boy can see this stuff. And, and so he realizes, hey, here's what you need to do. And he tells the boy, you've got the supernatural uh, ability. And what you need to do is you need to speak to the ghosts and help them solve whatever their unsolved issues are. So the boy, sure enough, he says, okay, I'll give it a try. And he does this, and and all of a sudden, he kind of gets through this. He's no longer afraid, and it's able to to make sense of his life. He's no longer longer traumatized. And so then it comes to the end of the movie, and the the boy's like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm changed. It's so great. And he tells the doctor, who's still struggling with his marriage, he says, you need to talk to your wife while she's sleeping. While she's sleeping, you can talk to her and, and get out what you need to say. And so the doctor goes home. And uh, while he's talking to his wife while she's sleeping, he remembers being shot years ago. Then he feels the the bullet wound, and he realizes that he had died in that shooting. And again, this is a movie about a boy who sees dead people with unresolved issues, and all of a sudden you realize, like, this doctor is a dead person with unresolved issues. And I'll tell you, when I... my, my mind was blown when I watched that. When I was like, what just happened? I had to watch that movie again. To, and then you begin to make sense of the whole story. You're like, oh, I get why his wife wouldn't talk to him. Because he wasn't really there. You know, and, and so you watch the movie. You hear the climax, the twist. And then the rest of the movie makes like all this sense. To some way, isn't that true with Scripture? Like we can open up Scripture and we can read Scripture, but... Until we know the climax of what the Bible's all about, the twist about Jesus and Jesus going to the cross for us and Jesus rising from the grave, the rest of the story doesn't necessarily make sense until we grasp the twist. And then we grasp Jesus, and then all of a sudden we read the Bible and we're like, man, the stories, the plots, the, the, the events, they begin to, to change and they make more sense when we understand it's all pointing us to Jesus. This is why it's important that we we learn to study Scripture and see Jesus. Because sometimes what can happen is we can read Scripture and not quite understand what's happening. So, for example, uh, I'm talking to a guy, and and he's like, hey, we had this college minister that I was friends with. And this guy was was on the college campus, and he's uh, ministering, and and he got to know this grad student. 
and he's sharing Jesus with this grad student. And this grad student, he'd never heard about Jesus before. It was like, ah, I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know anything about Christianity or the Bible. And he hears about the love of Jesus. And he's like, man, I can be forgiven. I can be redeemed. He's like, man, I'm in. I'm trusting Jesus. And so that, that grad student was going to go home for, for Christmas, to, for the holiday break. And so the, the minister gives him a Bible. He's like, hey, I'm going to give you a Bible, your very first one. And this guy is so excited about his new faith, and he gets his Bible, and he's just reading. He can't, he can't stop reading it until he gets to Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, he comes to where God tells Abraham, this is going to be the sign of my relationship between me and you. And the sign is circumcision. And this young man is like, well, this must be like a step of obedience to my new faith. He calls the clinic. He goes and does this thing, and he texts his minister friend the other next day and said, the deed is done. I will say three things about that. Number one, I admire that kid's commitment to following Jesus. Like all of us could probably be a little bit more bold and more like just obedient in our faith. And number two, it is possible for us to misunderstand parts of the Bible. And hopefully your misunderstandings are not quite as painful but this is where we can grasp. If we don't understand the big picture of the Bible, and we only have bits and pieces, it can be confusing or, or difficult for us to grasp. And number three, if you are unfamiliar with what circumcision is, I want to invite you, you can email me this week. Uh, we'll talk, my email is jacob at restorationyakima.com. You are welcome to do that, please. Um, <laughs> uh, Restoration Church, we... One of our core family values that we are known by is we are a Bible people. We want to be a Bible people that grasps what Scripture is all about. And so I'm excited. Today we are introducing off, kicking off a new sermon series that we're calling The Story. And what it is is we're going to go through and see how the, throughout the entire Bible, throughout the entire Bible, all the stories and the commands and the characters and the events are all part of one big story. And it's not a story about you and me, it's a story all about Jesus. So in this series of the next couple of months, we're going to see from Genesis all the way through Revelation, beginning to the end, it is all a single meta-narrative. It's one big story pointing us to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And so during this series, we mentioned this, Jaylene mentioned this, there is a... Uh, uh, reading plan that we encourage you to pick up and follow along. You'll be able to kind of see as we go through this series together, you can kind of read along and say where we're at. I also want to mention this is a great resource I want to encourage you to pick up. If you have kids or grandkids, or this is one of the books I'm using for sermon prep, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Yeah, this is one of the things I'm reading every week. I love this book because uh, the, the, the wording on here is it says, every story whispers his name. And so this kid's Bible will take you through every story, of, well, not every story, but a lot of stories of the Bible, and help you see how that point, story points to Jesus. So we have these available on the resource table for a $10 donation. We encourage you, if you'd like one, pick one up. Uh, keep it for yourself. Give it to your grandkids or whatever it happens to be. Uh, love to be able to put some good resources for you. This is why we're doing this series. This is the, the why behind uh, why this is all important. Because... When we grasp that the Bible is all about Jesus, it will literally change our lives. 
See, the Bible, the Bible is not just a book to tell you how to fix your life and how to make your life better. No, the Bible is a story that is all about Jesus. The Bible is trying to, to teach us to fix our eyes on him because when we do that, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, that is when we have the power of God that begins to change our lives. So if we can grasp this, I do believe that God uses that to change and transform lives. So today, today, beginning of the series, we are starting in Genesis chapter 1. And I know some of you, your, your, your radars are picking up. Where is he going to go with this? I tell you, there's a lot of stuff in Genesis chapter 1. So I'm going to give you this morning five observations from Genesis chapter 1. And uh, you'll probably say, well, there's probably a, a hundred, a hundred observations we could talk about. We're doing five today. We're doing five. All right. Number one, before creation, God existed. Before creation, God already existed. Here's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God. Hold on right there. First four verses of the Bible. First four words of the Bible. First four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. If we cannot grasp these first four words, we will not grasp anything about faith or scripture. See, the book of Genesis is written by Moses. As he's writing to the nation of Israel to, to give them a picture that before the world that they knew existed, before humanity as they knew it existed, there already was God. God already existed. He is an he is a, a infinite, eternal being. I mean, this is, this is like, like mind-blowing when you grasp this. Like everything in the universe has a beginning. I have a beginning. My beginning was in 1983. Restoration Church has a beginning. It was 2013. Uh, Rod Nipper has a beginning. It was 26 BC. Like everything has a beginning except for God. God has always been. It's always existed. And not only that, he is the actual creator. Again, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is where we get this term called ex nihilo, which means God made something out of nothing. In fact, I wrote in my Bible, you might want to be one of those people that likes to write notes in your Bible. Next to Genesis 1, I wrote Hebrews 11.3. Because the author of Hebrews says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen is made by things that were un invisible. What is seen, what we have here, was made by God out of nothing. God, the eternal creator of all things. If we grasp this, that he is a creator of all things, if he's the creator of what we have here, that means two things. That means, number one, that, that measure of, the measure of life, of right and wrong, and the meaning of life does not belong to us. If God is the creator, if God is the, the creator of all things, then, then the meaning of life and the measure of life, it's not just random. It's not something that we just kind of say, well, here's how I feel today. This is what I want to do. This is right or wrong. If God is a creator of all things, that means that God determines the measure of life. He gets to determine what is right and what is wrong. And if God is a creator of all things, that means that our meaning is not determined by us. It's determined by him as a creator. 
This is why this is so significant that we grasp this first verse. In the beginning, God created. He existed before creation. And so all things, including us, we are subject to him. We are his. Number one, before creation, God existed. Number two, before creation, there was darkness. Look at verse two. It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. See, what's interesting is verse 1, it says God creates the heavens and the earth. And verse 2, what he created was dark, empty, void. The picture I get is maybe some uninhabitable, uh, chaotic wasteland. Like maybe for you, maybe you can picture like the pictures that NASA sends from the surface of Mars. You know, just this uninhabitable place that nobody could survive unless you were Matt Damon, right? Like that's what you picture for this, this empty void. Listen, here's, here's why I mentioned this. Because the story of creation is the story of God. In creation, God's going to take this, this, this uh, earth without form, void, that has darkness over He's going to take this, what's helpless and useless and lifeless, and he's going to bring order to it. He's going to bring light to it. He's going to bring beauty out of the chaos. And you know what? God is still doing that same thing today in our churches, in our families, in individuals, where God takes our lives that are dark and chaotic, and he begins to mold us. He begins to bring order out of the chaos. Turns our story into something beautiful. That's what God did in creation. He took this earth that was formless, without void, and made it something beautiful, and that is still what he does in our lives today. Number three, before creation, there was a loving community. Look at verse 26 with me. Genesis 1.26. It says, God said, let us make man in our own image. I read that, and I'm like, okay, who's us? Who is, who is the us he's talking about here? Well, in Christianity, we refer to this as the Trinity. This is where we believe that God is one God who exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the creation of story, in chapter, Genesis chapter 1, you can see each member of the Trinity in the story. It says in verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God the Father created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, uh, darkness over the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here you have God, the Spirit, hovering. And verse 3, and God said. This is where Jesus shows up. See, the Word of God is Jesus. And I know you're sitting in your seat saying, well, how'd you get there? That seems like a pretty right turn. Here you're saying Jesus shows up because he's the word of God. In the Gospel of John, John describes Jesus as exactly that, the word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning of creation, speaking about Jesus, in the beginning the word was God, the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. 
John is saying in the very beginning when Jesus spoke, when God spoke, that was Jesus. He is the word of God speaking creation into existence. In fact, Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says everything, speaking of Jesus, everything was created by him. All things were created through him and for him. See, again, we're in this series called The Story. We're trying to find the thread of Jesus throughout the entire scripture. And here's Jesus in the creation story in the very beginning. And the point I want to make about this is in the very beginning, you see God existing in the Trinity with this loving relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, there was a, one of the theologians I read this week, his commentators, and uh, this was powerful. I love that he said this. He's, he asked that question. Maybe you ask that question, well, God, why did God create humanity? Why did God create people? Was he bored? Was he lonely? Like, why did God create us? Well, God experiences this perfect loving relationship within the Trinity. He already has relationship. He has love. So God didn't create us because he needed us. He created us out of an overflow of his love. See, think about, think about marriage. In marriage, you have two beings, two separate, and they become one in essence, right? Think about our worship leader, Dana, this morning. He married Jennifer. They became, they became uh, Danafer, right? They became two, and they become one, and as they become one together. And out of that relationship, they brought children. When you have a good marriage, you don't have kids because you're lonely. You, out of the overflow of your love, you bring children into that loving union. It's kind of the picture of what God does in creation, where his, his love it spills out into the canvas of the universe, and he invites us into the story. He invites us into his love. It's really a beautiful picture. So number one, before creation, God existed. Number two, before creation, there was darkness. Number three, before creation, there was loving community. Number four, God created the heavens and the earth. This is what we know as being the days of creation, right? And what you actually find in, in Genesis chapter one is you find a very, I want you to hear kind of this is an artistic telling of creation. Because when you hear this chapter, you hear this repetition, you hear these patterns, almost like, like a poem or a song, where it says, and God said, and then he said something, and then it says again and again, it says, and God saw that it was good, that was evening and morning on whatever day it happened to be. You see this repetition it happens again and again and again. It's an artistic telling of creation. Day number one, verses three through five. It says, God creates the light. He separates the light from darkness, forming day and night. Day number two, verses six through eight. God creates the atmosphere. He separates uh, the waters above and the clouds from the waters uh, below on the earth. Day number three, verses nine through, seven, nine through four, 13. God separated the water from the dry land, and he created vegetation and plants and trees and salad. He did that on day three. Day number four, verses 14 through 19, God creates the sun and the moon and the stars to identify day and night, to identify seasons and days and months and years. Day number five, God creates creatures of the sea and birds of the air. Chick-fil-A was born that day. Day number six, 
Chicken, so the bird is actually, does the bird actually fly? Does a cow is being, it's an interesting question. I didn't think about that till right now. Sorry, that's a distraction. Day number six, verses 24 to 31, God creates the animals. That's when we get beef. And he creates the crown of his creation, mankind. And on day seven, he finished his work and he rested. Now let's get into this. When we look at the days of creation, some of you are sitting on the edge of your seat. What's he going to say next? Because this is a hotly debated topic. The question is, do we believe that in Genesis chapter 1, we're talking about a literal seven days. God created everything in seven days. Is that what you're saying, Pastor? Some of you are saying, well, no, well, no, 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 Pastor. Like God, the seven days are not literal. They're kind of like figurative, representing maybe a certain amount of time, maybe a million of years or, or a certain amount of time, and, and these days are, are figurative. Question is, do we have a young earth or an old earth? Christians can be passionate about this debate right here and can get bent out of shape. You hear all sorts of things uh, being said. Well, if you don't believe in a literal seven-day uh, creation, then you don't even believe the Bible. You're, you're a heathen. Others will say, well, if you believe in that, you're just a, you're a Neanderthal. You're not very educated or smart. I'll tell you what. Throughout church history, there have been some extremely godly faithful leaders that hold both positions as to whether the, church, the earth is a young earth or an old earth. And I don't want to disappoint you this morning. I'm not going to answer this debate. And it's not because I'm a wimp. Because this debate is actually a red herring. You know what a red herring is? A red herring distracts you from the big idea. A red herring is something that, that takes your attention off what's most important and you begin looking at all these other things. See, when we're reading scripture, we have to ask this question is, is why this was written before we start looking for answers. And again, Genesis 1 is an artistic expression celebrating creation. I don't believe that God gave us Genesis chapter 1 to answer all of our scientific questions about how the earth was made. The focus of Genesis chapter 1 is it's not exactly how God created. It's simply the fact that God created. That is a big idea. It's not how he did all of it. The big idea is simply God is a creator. Like that's what Genesis 1 is telling us. Not all the details of how. Simply we have to agree God is the creator. And we understand this is the big idea that, that, that Moses is trying to give us that we see in Genesis chapter 1. Then, you know, we can add a little bit of grace to one another. Literal seven-day, figurative, young earth, old earth. You know what? As long as we can agree God created, that's the big idea. That's, that's the point that the author is trying to give us this morning. How many of you wanted me to answer the debate? Not doing it. Fifth observation from this passage is that we as people are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says, God, let us, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. What does it mean for us to be created in the image of God? It doesn't mean a physical appearance. John chapter 4 says, God is a spirit. 
So we're not created to him just in a physical appearance. In the simplest sense, to be created in the image of God means that we share, rather imperfectly, but we share in God's nature. That we have this capacity for emotions and for reason and for language and personality and morality and spiritually and personality. We share in his nature. You know, as we look at Genesis chapter 1, I know some of you are saying, there's a lot of things, Pastor, that you just walked right over. You didn't get into the creation, to the seven-day thing. You didn't. Because in Genesis chapter 1, it's so easy for us to follow red herrings and get lost in some of the details that we miss the big idea. And here's the big idea. Here's, here's a summary that I want you to know in Genesis chapter 1, that God is the creator of the universe, that he made humanity in his image. Look, that's what I want us to know in Genesis chapter 1. There's a lot of other things we can talk about, and we can study, and we can have some conversations. I'm open to that. But the big idea we've got to grasp is God is the creator, and he made us in his image. Now, here's what we're going to do now as we try and figure out how we apply this to us today. I have three implications of what it means for us to be made in the image of God. Three things for us. Number one, if we're made in the image of God, then our life has incredible value and worth. Listen, if you, if scripture is true and you are made in the image of God, your life has so much incredible intrinsic value. Humanity has incredible value if we are made in the image of God. And, and I don't know about you, but I know for me, like, at times life kind of beats me down. Man, life can be hard. There's times where I'm like, man, I feel like a failure. I look around what's happening in our world. I'm like, man, this place is a mess. What is going on here? It's a dumpster fire. I think about the mistakes I make in my life. Sometimes I feel pretty bad about myself. But scripture says that we are made in God's image. Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what that means for us this morning? It's that even if we have a fragile human life, even if we have made all sorts of mistakes, we reflect the image of God. And we have incredible value because we're made in his image. And you know what happens is we are, so for, we are so forgetful and we forget this fact that we are made in the image of God. And we've got the sin stuff that, that messes us up. And let's just be honest, like we're, we're really bad to one another. We're really bad to, to people. The way we treat people that are made in God's image I just got to imagine the way we treat people breaks God's heart. We think maybe we're better than someone else. Oh, they're just a failure. They made horrible mistakes. We name call. We belittle. We reject. I just imagine if, if people are made in the image of God and we treat them like that, I imagine that's got to break the heart of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen if we actually looked around the people around us, people that we struggle with, and we actually thought, you know, that person is made in the image of God. 
They have incredible value because they are made in his image. What kind of difference would it make in our world if we viewed people as being not just a failure, not just a screw-up, but this is a person that is made in God's image? We would treat people totally different. Our world would be totally different. Man. Number one, you have to know that your life has incredible value because you are made in the image of God. Number two, if we are created in his image, we are created for community. Again, because we're made in his image and God was in this loving community, that's where, where God is, exists in the loving community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means that our lives will not be complete until we are in loving community with others. This need for community, it transcends cultures, it transcends, uh, transcends uh, generations. This affects introverts and extroverts. We all have this sense of community. Extroverts, you just need more community than introverts. But we all need community around us. In fact, for Christians, if we're going to pursue the path of godliness, it will always lead us towards community with other people. In fact, as we have men off at man camp this weekend, you know, one of the guys said, Kevin, what's a win for man camp this weekend? What would be like, what would you celebrate? And I'll tell you, my celebration is not just them going and hearing some good preaching. And they, had some, they had some really good preaching. Had a message yesterday on anger that was like, whew, good. My win is not them uh, winning a tug-of-war contest. We didn't win, by the way. Actually, we didn't even join the competition, so there's that. My win is not us hearing some great music. My win is having guys engage over a, a card game. My win is having guys talk about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness across a, a, a dinner table. My win is guys engaging with one another and talking about real stuff and, and, and finding relationships. That is what the win is. Because what happens, especially for men, especially for men, I'm experiencing this myself, the older we get, we kind of become a little bit more isolated. It's just the way it happens to work. We have the absence of friends. We're pursuing our, our, our career, pursuing these different things. And we just grow a little bit more isolated. And isolation can quickly lead to unhealthiness and destruction. As what Proverbs chapter 18 says, it says the one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires and rebels against sound wisdom. See, again, one of the family values that we talk about here at Restoration Church is that we belong together. We, we, we belong to, to God and we belong to one another. And we believe that in this community, in this loving community, it leads us to life. It leads us to health. It leads us to strength. It is an inherent and vital part of our life. See, if we are made in his image, we are made for community. Is it messy? Absolutely. Is it difficult? Absolutely. Do we got to give each other grace once in a while? Absolutely. But is it worth it? A thousand times, yes. It is totally worth it. I mean, just think about, think about this. We can all answer this story differently, this question differently. 
How different would your life be if you had deep, loving community? Think about the dumb mistakes you've made in the past. What would have been different had you had deep, loving community around you? Or maybe for you, maybe you can think about the childhood trauma you experienced. Listen, what do you think would have been different had your parents had deep, loving community around them? Makes a huge difference, guys. Makes a huge difference. Number one, implications of being made in the image of God. Number one, human life has incredible value and worth. Number two, we are created for loving community. And number three, we get to play a part in keeping God's creation good. See, I love this. Look at verse 26. It says, God said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. And the question is why? Why did God say that? I'm glad you asked that because he answers it. He continues and says, so they can have dominion over the fish of the sea uh, and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps over all the earth. Verse 28. He says, let them fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing. See, the story of creation. The story of creation says God starts with darkness and chaos. And God looks over the darkness, he looks over the chaos, and the word of God spoke. And he brought life and order and beauty out of that darkness and out of that mess. As image bearers of God, we have a purpose to cultivate the earth, to bring about flourishing. We don't have to, we don't, we don't got be, we don't create like God. We don't create out of nothing. But we take what God has given to us, what he's created, and we cultivate, cultivate it. And we and we, we bring it further into light and peace. See, oftentimes throughout life we ask that question: what is my purpose? Why do I exist? We don't exist to make ourselves great. We don't exist to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. No, we were created to bring order to the chaos. We were created to bring light into the dark places, to bring beauty out of the formless voids. As the, as the image bearers of God, we are placed into this world that still has darkness. It still has brokenness and, and, and things happening all around us. And just like the word of God spoke and brought this beauty into the dark places, we are to speak the gospel of life and peace and light to the world around us, to the broken places. And as the Spirit of God is, is, is inside of us, as we speak the Word of God into those places, man, we begin to see God change those dark places into light. We begin to see God bring beauty out of the chaos and order out of the chaos, and we see God transform around us. That is what, it, that is what God does. Which means here we are as Christians here today, and where we see brokenness in our world, that is where God is calling us to speak the word of God, to speak redemption and healing and power and forgiveness and restoration in his name, in his power, in his strength. As a people of God, we are called to, to cultivate around us, to, to bring order, to bring light. When you think about the brokenness of our world caused by poverty, 
brokenness by sin, by oppression, racial tension, division, and war. Listen, as image bearers of God, we are fueled by his spirit to bring light and life and to recreate what has been broken by sin. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did? We know the story of Jesus. He entered into this dark, sin-filled, chaotic world. God in the flesh, God the Son, born into this earth to bring life and light and order and beauty. In fact, when you see Jesus in his life, during his ministry, that is exactly what he's doing. He's undoing the chaos and darkness that has been caused by sin. He's healing diseases. He's raising the dead. He's forgiving and redeeming sinners. He is bringing order out of the chaos. He's bringing beauty out of the ashes. He's bringing light into the darkness. In fact, the end of his life, when Jesus was on that cross and he died, Scripture says that the earth shook and darkness fell upon the whole of the earth. And it says, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God turned his face away. And this is the mystery of the gospel. That Jesus, as the architect of the world, was put into darkness. Was put into the void of sin so that we who have rejected him, that we might have light and we might have life again. story of our lives is our lives are dark and formless voids until the word of God brings reconciliation with us and him to the death burial and resurrection of Jesus and that is when we begin to experience life and peace and beauty and order in our lives when we come into a relationship with him and that is what our call is that is why we are made That is why he says, I give you dominion over these things so we can bring light and peace, bring order out of the chaos. What does it look like to you this week? Where's the places God is going to put you that you can speak a word of hope, a word of light, a word of peace, a word of reconciliation, a word of redemption, a word of hope. God takes the dark, formless void, makes it into this beautiful world that we have in, we have in, we live in. And God takes the beauty, God takes the brokenness of life and makes it something beautiful. Let's pray.